In my country, we have several stories in recent years of the police monitoring church groups and individuals from outside the country to the point where people have gone into a police station and the police have produced pages of their own text messages. Yes, anybody that comes to Christ in my country in a genuine way has counted the cost for sure. No, I can't love where I live. Uh, I see tyranny, I see slavery, I see people forced to live in a faith that doesn't change hearts, that doesn't give hope. There has never been a situation where believers have come together who don't know each other beforehand and started a group and that group has continued. There's been a 100% failure rate. Hey everybody, want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard and man does it get hard sometimes, that's why we do what we do on Before You Quit with the blogs and podcasts that you will find on our website, www.beforeyouquit.us. Hey, I hope you're doing well, hope you had a great Thanksgiving, I hope that you are preparing well for the Christmas holidays, that you have safe travel. Uh, I am pretty much going to be staying where I am, which is totally fine with me. Um, Let me just say also that this will be the only podcast I will be doing between now and the end of the year. And then once we start up again in January, we will try to do this every two weeks. That has been my goal. I haven't been able to do that um, as effectively as I wanted because of schedule. Uh, But we've got some very interesting and exciting podcasts, uh, subjects that will be coming up in the new year. Uh, Hey, anyway, this is Mitch Schultz, and I'm your host. I'm also a director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry, where we bring courage and support to those who are hurting in ministry. Uh, We're going to be talking today about what it is like to be serving in a closed country. And when we say a closed country, we mean a culture, a society, a country where uh, sharing the gospel freely is is not possible uh, without likely recriminations, and usually those countries are are strong Muslim countries. Sometimes they are other religions, but for the most part, uh, the things that we hear about come out of uh, very strong Muslim societies. I'm not going to be using the person's name that I'm interviewing uh, for his own protection. Uh, people have gotten in trouble with social media by referring to a particular person and the work that they're doing. Uh, I will refer to him a few times as Peter, but that is not his real name. And for his protection also, we're not going to be referring to the country where he lives. Um, However, I can tell you that God is moving where he serves. He and his wife serve. Uh, The gospel, as it always has, is powerful and a movement of God is something that penetrates through these walls of hostility and people in the particular society where Peter lives uh, are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. It's, uh, it's a phenomenal uh, reality, and it's exciting for, him to, for me to hear him talk about these things. Uh, many come to Christ at great risk. Uh, Peter and his wife are actually there serving officially as, as a pastor to an international church, and this church is attended by a number of expats, but also local people. And that's the real reason Peter and his wife are there. They're there working in a church because that is uh, a way that they, they can um, you know, safely serve, and it's recognized and okay with the government. But their real purpose is to uh, reach Muslims with the saving message of Jesus Christ. You're going to be moved by Peter's story, and I, I hope also 
that this will remind you to pray for the persecuted church. And uh, I also hope that this will help you. It certainly is helping me to do this, to not take for granted the freedom that we have to worship our Lord Jesus Christ here in, in this society, this great society where we live. So let's go ahead and jump into this interview right away. And uh, I'd like for you to fasten your seatbelts for an amazing story. Okay, I have an unusual opportunity to talk to someone today that I am not going to refer uh, to in his real name, and I'm not even going to talk about the location. There's a lot of sensitivity. So we're going to call him Peter. Uh, Peter, it's good to good to see you this morning. Good to have you in this uh, podcast, the Before You Quit podcast. Great. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Hey, t- give us, uh, t- tell us why it's important uh, what I just said, that we're not using your real name. We're not referring to your location. Uh, what are we concerned about there? We're, we're not being dramatic, purposely dramatic. I mean, this is a real, this is a reality, isn't it? Yes, it is. And it is not at all uh, being purposely dramatic. In my country, we have several stories in recent years of the police monitoring church groups and individuals from outside the country to the point where people have gone into a police station and the police have produced pages of their own text messages uh, that they've sent talking about uh, people they're sharing the gospel with, etc. So the police are keeping an eye on what Christians and the church are doing in my country, for sure. Yeah, and I think a lot of us here uh, are, have woken up to that reality out there that there are people living with this kind of risk. With uh, you know the the pastor Andrew Brunson that was in Turkey for quite a few years recently released. Uh, I know the church that I was serving as an interim was actually the same denomination that he was in. So they were every Sunday we were praying for him and. Uh, so so, yeah, I think, I think Americans, uh, you know, we can be rather self-centered, and uh, especially today, <laughs> Tuesday, November 6th, it's right. all about America. Uh, so we're hoping that this uh, helps people to realize, hey, there's another world out there. And, and, and believers who are living with a lot of, lot of risk and a lot of implications to, to living your faith. And it, it, do, it, does, it, it does cause people to probably be more serious about their faith, doesn't it? Do you find that with the believers you work with? Yes. Anybody that comes to Christ in my country in a genuine way has counted the cost for sure. Very early on, we talked to them about the fact of persecution and look at some passages together and they understand that mm-hmm. uh, very early in the process. So absolutely, they are serious about it. Yeah. Um, well, let, let's, uh, let's jump in here. Describe best the, the context in which you work. And I'll, I'll also have you kind of talk to us about how you ended up there. Uh, what's your story? What's your journey is just as comfortable as you can. Well, the country I live in is 99 plus percent Islamic, so there is no diversity. It also calls itself an Islamic Republic, and so it says in its constitution it's an Islamic Republic, and in that constitution it says it will rule according to the principles of the Quran. So it's a place where it's overwhelmingly Islamic. I was Uh, interacting with someone not too long ago that had contact with someone who had come to Christ in the 1970s here. And that person said back in 1970, uh, he remembered that there were only perhaps a dozen believers in the entire country. Now, I talked to another colleague recently who's been here for about 18 years. And he said when he first got here, he only knew of 20 men who Mm. knew the Lord in this country of more than 10 million people. Mm. So today... 
We think there may be as many as 500 believers in the country. The thing is, when you work in a place that's so dominated by Islam, is Islam is based on two things, I tell people, fear and ignorance. And there's such a fear that if any other system of thought came in and chipped away at Islam, that the whole thing would fall apart. Mm. And so that's why you have these very stringent controls on any types of outside uh, systems of thought. So it's, it's the kind of place where... You know, this morning I happened to be awake at 5.15, unfortunately, <laughs> but there were five calls to prayer within 10 blocks of my house. They were all very loud. That's a five times a day reminder that Islam's in control here, Islam's in charge, and there's no other way to think. Mm -hmm. And that's how people are raised. I'm thinking of a testimony of a guy that came to know the Lord last year, and in his testimony he says, you know, we were taught Islam against our own will. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's, there's no... There's wow. no other force. Yeah. Taught. Wow. Not only in the home, but in the school too. Islam's taught very strongly in the public schools. And there's a brief look at some of the other uh, systems of thought and other faiths, but there's no concept that anybody in that classroom would want to leave Islam. Yeah, that's, uh, that, I'd like to pursue that a little bit more in a few minutes. But tell us, tell us how you ended up here. Well, uh, my wife and I were in the States. We've been in a couple other countries serving in Islamic contexts. We came to a point where she had cancer and we needed to stay in the States for a while. But once you get five years out of cancer, most doctors think you're pretty good to go. Mm -hmm. And right at that time, I received an email saying there is a church, an international church looking for a pastor in the country where I am now. It was from an old friend that I hadn't heard from in a while. And I said, I read the email to my wife and she said, you've got to go do that. So we started the process, and one major fleece that we laid down for the Lord was in terms of support raising. Uh, we got the email in October, had some Skype interviews, they went well, and they wanted us to come out that next June. Well, we were both teaching full-time, and we needed to give our school notice that we would leave by mid-March. So mm -hmm. I told the Lord in January of 2016, uh, Lord, if you want this to happen, then all our support has to come in in two and a half months. Mm. And it did. Yeah. Well, I don't think you put too much of a burden on the Lord by asking him of that. He's, <laughs> but that is unusual. You know, that uh, yeah. you, you find, uh, you know, people working overseas have to take a year plus to, uh, exactly. So that's amazing. That's yeah. Amazing. It was amazing. Yeah. Well, you had no choice at that point, did you? <laughs> <laughs> No, we had taken an exploratory trip over here. Had you? Okay. And uh, looked at the context. And the main thing we were looking for was, is there responsiveness? Are we going to see results? Is God working strongly here? Because we're not spring chickens. Uh, I'm 57, as is my wife. And at this point, if you're going to take the time to learn another new language, then you want to be somewhere where you're going to see some things happen. Because mm -hmm. if you say to me, oh, it's going to be 15 years till you see someone come to know Christ. Well, I'm 72 at that point and probably not here. So, so, so we really what, were you, what were you looking for to gauge that? And what, what told you that, hey, this, this is a response? I mean, you had obviously a short window when you were visiting there to gauge that. Yes, we were only here for a week, but we talked to some people that lived in our city, some other workers, and they told us about responsiveness. Okay. And then one particular thing that happened, we'll never forget, is we were riding in the car with the current pastor of the church back at that time, and he got a phone call in his car, 
and it was someone saying, hey, I saw the church's website, and I want to talk to you. I want to know Jesus. Wow. And that was while we were in the car, and we said, okay, we're, we're coming. Yeah, we're coming. That's, that's amazing. Wow. Yeah. Just two sovereignly driven confirmations, the support, and then you're there for a week. Uh, the chances of driving with someone and them getting a call like that, uh, that's not a normal day is it? No, <laughs> no. So your, your main, your main objective or what, what drew you there was, uh, obviously the, the responsibility was to pastor an international church. You obviously went there to do more than that, right? That's right. Okay. Yes. And I live in a place where tourism has taken some huge hits lately. And so what's happened is this international church, would, which had as many as 50 people in it, several years ago. The expats that live in my city have moved back to Europe and other places. And then the number of tourists that would drop in for a Sunday service has plummeted to maybe in the summer, we might get a couple of Sunday mm-hmm. during the rest of the year, none. So the church has shrunk dramatically. Our first week here, I think we had seven people, maybe nine. So that part is to have a legitimate standing with the government here and with the police here so they know what I'm doing. But on the side, I like to say it's all about sharing the gospel with people in my country that want to hear about that. Mm-hmm. And there are many that want to hear about that, especially in the younger generation. So, so they, we're, here, we're here to start, you know, hopefully uh, multiplying groups of people that will get the ball rolling. I'm not exaggerating when I say it's a lot like the book of Acts here. Uh, I'm not going to say that we see the type of miracles that you see in Acts, not yet at least, but it, the church is in its very formative stage, its infant baby stage. And that's really exciting to see that take off. And the thing right now that's quite interesting in our ministry is people in our organization and most of the workers out here have an idea of how the church should grow. And that would be small home groups to be underground, etc. But what we're finding is the believers in the church may not want that. They kind of like the idea of having a building, a public place, of gaining legitimacy with the government and saying, we are here, Hmm. we are a minority, and we will be respected. And so uh, you mentioned Turkey earlier, and that's a country where that's happened as well. The believers in Turkey have said, we want a building, we want to be legitimate, and we want the government to respect us as as a minority. And we're seeing the same thing here. And I think that's, I don't have any problem with that. Yeah, it's a bold step. It, uh, you know, pushes the envelope in a sense. It's, it's, it's non-traditional. I mean, the, what we tend to envision are small groups meeting in homes, you know, late at night with lights low and, and a lot of discretion. But uh, yeah, so that book of Acts part that you're referring to there is the boldness stepping out and almost almost challenging the government to, you know, to respond. And it's a test of how, you know, what freedom is there. Yes. And there's an article in the Constitution that says there's freedom of conscience and conscience. Hmm. And what people say is, well, there's a big difference between what's on paper and what's in reality. And that's true. Mm -hmm. Sure. But I have had meetings with officials face to face and reminded them of that article in the Constitution and telling them that more and more they're going to have to deal with the reality of that yeah. as the number of Christians uh, probably increases, and, and, and it will yeah. only increase. So you have, you have a number of uh, indigenous people attending your church. We have some, yes. And mm. what we have, we find that people in my country like to find the Lord in one of two ways. Some of them like to listen to the gospel for months and months and months, 
and reflect on it and turn it over in their mind and then may come forward and say, hey, I'm ready to make this decision. Those kind of people like to come on Sunday morning to a typical uh, kind of Western service where we, we have songs in English and a couple other languages that are used in this country. And then uh, I speak in, in a couple languages with the, with the message. And they like to sit and think on that. Now, others come to our group on Sunday afternoons, which is held in a different location, a secret location. And that group is all in the national language, and it's led by a national believer who mm. came to Christ last Christmas. And so uh, that is a more intense group. It's, you know, it's six to eight people sitting around in a smaller space, and there's really nowhere to hide. So wow. people are coming to the Lord through both of those uh, avenues. Mm. Talk to us about the what kind of freedom there is to share the gospel and any stories that you might have. Well, proselytization is officially against the law. So at any time, if a policeman were to see me sharing the gospel and was bothered by that, he could kick me out of the country. So what we do is we often meet with people in cafes where we can keep an eye on who's coming and going and see if there's any police around. Uh, they, they do have plenty of planes, plainclothes policemen, so we wouldn't know who all those guys are. Mm-hmm. But we do it discreetly. You look up scripture passages on your telephone or with his telephone, hmm. and you look at those, and you can you know, get rid of that screen at any time if someone comes up and asks you what you're doing. And uh, you just talk, and, and I haven't had any cases yet where someone's come up and said, hey, what are you doing? Most people just see two people talking at a cafe. One of them's a foreigner, so you kind of wonder what he's doing. Mm -hmm. But if you do it in a natural way and don't act like something unusual is happening, we usually don't draw too much attention. Mm -hmm. So we do it in that way. I also have people up here in my office, this uh, secret location where I'm sitting right now, sometimes have people come to this office and we meet there and talk. Uh, Sometimes it's through text messaging, sometimes through Facebook and other things. So... It is against the law, but uh, we find ways around that. Yeah, what's, what's the most encouraging conversation you've had with someone? Oh, well, I've had many that, you know, have led to people come to, to know the Lord fairly quickly. I'll, I'll go by some of the more recent ones since they're in my mind. Mm-hmm. One would be the story of a guy who was a big gamer. He had been looking at some scripture passages online just in his spare time because he's fairly spiritually minded. He did not believe in Islam at all, zero, Mm -hmm. and was looking around and was very intrigued by Scripture and intrigued by Jesus. Well, he's in a gamer community that's international, and there was a guy that he played with a lot that had the handle, the letter G-S-U-S man, so Jesus man. Mm -hmm. And so he said to this guy, hey, do you know about Jesus? Can you tell me about him? And the guy said, of course. Oh my gosh. Started to share with him the gospel <laughs> through messaging. And then this guy got on our church website where my phone number is and texted me and said, Hey, I really want to know what it is to become a Christian. And we met at a cafe and he, he was ready to do it right then. Oh my gosh. Well, my, my uh, attitude towards gaming has significantly just changed. <laughs> and to the, to the uninitiated, that is, that is a very popular, it's actually considered a sport today where uh, people all over the world are through the internet playing, you know, games competing against each other with certain games. Uh, <laughs> what an amazing context in which someone was able to connect with someone else. Amazing. Yeah. And you think about the scripture, you know, one plants a seed, one waters, one yes, harvest. Yes, and, yeah. you know, just, and here's the thing is we could talk a long time about another huge debate right now in the work I'm doing. And that is 
how much can actually be accomplished online and how much needs to be done face-to-face. Because it's so hard sometimes to meet with people face-to-face here, just because the society's kind of people aren't looking to make new friendships. The people in my country never wake up and say, I want to make a new friend today. Never. (laughs) There's a very small circle of Mm. trust. And so, but online, you know, you can pretty much say and do anything, right? Yeah. And so there are people that are doing a lot of ministry online and would argue that they're quite successful and have far higher numbers than those of us who are still doing a lot of things face to face. And so a legitimate question, I think, and I have an opinion on it, but it is, can you disciple people online? Can you lead people to Christ online? Can they grow online? Can they come into community online? And all of those are, are hot questions right now. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's our, our digital age that lends itself yes. to those kind of uh, struggles. But I mean, the bottom line, though, it's it's important that the church takes seriously that, that uh, uh, you know, opportunity to connect with people, especially people like where you are, uh, you know, where there's not e- as easy access to the gospel. Um, yes, and, they, and a lot of people in my country play games. Yeah. And a lot of them are playing games on teams, and on those teams are some Christians. And I would tell any Christians listening to this podcast, if you play a video game with people from parts of the mm-hmm. world where the church is very small or non-existent, gosh, engage those people. It's yeah, really yeah, easy yeah. to do that online, and you're probably not going to lose your playing partner just over being open about your faith. Sure. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, I get, a re- I get a report regularly on my podcast and, uh, you know, I mean, we're not taking in masses at all, but I've got, I've got a couple people listening to this. I have no idea who they are, but they're in Iraq, uh, I think Saudi Arabia. And so if any of you are in those places and you're listening to this, I'd love to know who you are. <laughs> Uh, just another example of how, you know, a, a forum like this uh, can open up opportunities. Uh, yeah, the world is very interconnected online. Yeah, it's getting, it's amazing. Absolutely. absolutely. And this gaming community, I don't game, I never have, mm-hmm. but it is a huge community. And uh, there are a lot of deep relationships and there are more and more people that are, as you know, uh, seeking to get married because of people they meet online. This is, this yeah. isn't, we're not going to turn the clock back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. going to increase. So yeah. it brings new questions to ministry. But I'm always going to argue for face-to-face discipleship and growth and involvement in a community because I think it's still very easy to be online and act like you're in a community and still be very self-centered. And I think a lot of growing in Christ is being in a community and serving that community and sharing your faith with real flesh yeah. and blood. Well, it can be a way for people to be softened, more open. So when they meet yes. someone face-to-face, they're yes. ready to to be a little yes. more transparent. Um, we didn't plan on, I didn't plan on asking this question, but you mentioned earlier that one of the, one of the uh, hopeful, uh, you know, conditions or fleece or whatever you had was, is this country that's going to be responsive? Um, can you share a little bit how that seed was planted in that, in that country in past years that maybe have lent itself to an openness today? Yes, absolutely. There were various things happening in this country. I think the best way to summarize this country is it has not gotten better in decades. Uh, It's actually gone downhill economically, Mm. and I would say socially as well. And my country was caught up in the Arab Spring in about 2011, and that has changed the mentality of the people here. 
it led to the end of a dictatorship and then people felt much more free to express themselves mm. and then with the growth of the internet people are looking in corners of the internet they've never looked at before and so the idea that someone in my country would become a christian is actually legitimate now mm. and that's a that's a huge huge step and so what you have is also, I'd say also with the development of ISIS and that sort of thing, that's turned off millions of Muslims around the world, young Muslims especially, hmm. to Islam. And so they're saying, okay, if that's the real Islam or even a form of Islam, I don't want to be anywhere near that. So you have yeah, some that nice. say, I want to be a Muslim without the war part. But then others say, man, I never want to any, anything to do with that. And I actually have done a little research and I saw that the prophet uh, did engage in war. So this is an outgrowth of the way he initially expanded. Mm. And so you've got millions of young people that have ditched Islam. Now, where do they go? A lot of them think they have to become atheists because they don't know any other, any other system of thought. And so they're wandering around. I'm friends with a lot of them on Facebook. They're putting posts up saying, my life is terrible. The future's dark. Uh, I don't know where to turn. I'm lost. And man, what an opportunity for Christ to come in. So just being there at the right time in the right place saying, actually, I know somewhere you could go. You don't have to throw God out. There are other versions of God that are really beautiful and wonderful. And he loves you. And he gave his son to die for you. And I, let me tell you about that. And mm. when you talk to somebody that's totally disillusioned with Islam, but still thinks there is a God, you're, you're onto something. Yeah. Well, you've shared a lot of things that are encouraging. What, what is discouraging uh, perhaps to you personally in your ministry context? Well, I would say that there is a numbness here in my country. People are so used to things not being good that they get cynical and they don't think things can change. And we've never lived anywhere where so many people want to leave. And I would say... Uh, some polls say more than half of the young people want to leave this country immediately. I'd say it's higher than that. Mm. I'd say two out of three. And so you've got this desperation, but it's frustrating that they don't feel like they can look to Christ because Christianity is associated with former colonial powers or the West, or they can't even imagine making that change because of what it would do in their family and that sort of thing. And so they don't even consider that possibility. It's kind of like being around a starving person and you've got a steak mm. and you want to say, here's the steak and they can't see it. Mm. Uh, that's, that's discouraging. Uh, I tell people, sometimes we feel like we live in a country that's got a big dome over it. The dome of Islam. It's been here for mm. hundreds and hundreds of years. And we just want to poke some holes in that dome. So the light shines through and people will follow that light to its source. That's, that's really what we're doing. That's here. a vivid picture. That's really helpful for us to understand the hopelessness and despair that's there. What's feeding in from the outside that is maybe bringing about that discontent, do you think? I mean, again, the internet. Media. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. social media. What are they drawn to the most? I mean, is it, is it Western? They are drawn to the prospect of, of a better life. Of a better life, of being free mm. in their thought and in their choice of lifestyle, uh, which I would say would mean. They don't have to be under their parents' thumb. Listen, listen, uh, I'm thinking about writing a book about this place because I don't think people have any idea what the family unit is like in a country like this. You, you see a family together, you say, oh, wow, family's a high value. They, they believe in extended family. They know all their cousins. Well, the reality is, actually, they live under their parents' thumb, especially dads. Hmm. 
And they live under that thumb until they're married. And the age of marriage is being pushed back further and further because people don't have the money to get married because they don't have jobs. Uh, we've got 40% unemployment in this country among young people, 40%. So they can't get married. So they live with dad till they're 25 or 30 or beyond 35. And they still have to tell dad when they're coming home at night. So they don't make any of their own decisions as to even when they come home. So getting out of the country means getting out also from underneath dad's thumb and having a job and having enough money to have a decent lifestyle, which is increasingly perilous in this country. There are very few people you can look around in your peer set and say, look, that guy got married at 25, had two kids, he's got a great job, he's got a car, he's got a house, he's settled at age 30. That is really rare in this country now. Hmm. Where do they go predominantly if they are able to leave? Well, listen, the doors are closing. Okay. Europe doesn't want them anymore. Uh, the States doesn't want them anymore. It was super hard to get there anyway. That's really far away from where I am. So most want to go to Europe. Hmm. So they're hopping on rafts and boats to go to Europe and they're being turned away there. Yeah. And every single day in the media, you can read a story about a different European country saying, we've got to cut this flow of immigrants. We don't want any more. Go back to your country. And they're sending them back to uh, the region where I am right now. So the doors are closing. There's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to go. So I think we're set up for another cataclysmic era in this country because people can't go anywhere. The population's growing uh, steadily. And they have to realize they've got to solve their own problems and make life work here. But here's the thing. If Christ can become just even a little bit of leaven in this society, if we can have even 1% evangelical, it'll have a huge impact on this society and it'll be a lot better place to live. And I told a, I told a government official this when I was uh, with her in the American embassy, a meeting I had a few months ago. I looked at her and I said, you know, Christians make really great citizens and you should mm. encourage Christianity in this country because Christians live a life of service. They honor the government. They, scripture tells us to submit to authority. Christians make amazing citizens. And the more you have, the more just your society will be. Because you and I both know that corruption is killing uh, your yeah. country and it has for a long time. Yeah. Well, I just, it reminds me again, uh, I mean, I think about this almost daily, that the gospel is what gives hope to people. Um, and, and not, to, again, not even to borrow uh, even the smallest dust bit of the prosperity gospel. Uh, it, it does make life better. I mean, when you have hope, you feel better about, uh, you know, relationships and, and your own life. Your outlook is different. And, you know, of course, that gives that impacts an individual. But what you're hoping for is that it impacts families and uh, hopefully enough so to where it's appealing to other people uh, and then, uh, you know, potentially uh, helping to Sh you know, change uh, the the hopelessness that's in an entire culture. Uh, I, I can. How often do you get out uh, for you personally? Because uh, I, I can imagine being there. The effects of that can be very hard on you personally. And I'll ask in a minute what that's like for you. But just just curious, how often are you able to get out, catch your breath, and if that's how you do it? Yes, uh, that's a great question. And yes, you have to get out because not only do you have the grinding inconveniences of the developing world, which, which I have here. I mean, even the simplest errand can take forever to, mm -hmm. to get done to find a certain light bulb for your house. Uh, the internet's not a very good guide. It's not organized enough out here with businesses. So you have to walk from shop to shop to shop to find this thing. And even then you might come home and it may not work. So there's, 
there's a lot of little things in daily life that can wear you out. Mm. And I'd say the gap between the developing world and the developed world is, is greater than ever and growing. Mm. So we get out uh, probably a couple weeks a year during the school year. My wife's a teacher in a school here, a private school here. And then we left for the entire month of August because uh, it's a really dead time here. Mm. and an easy time to, to slip away and not have mm. uh, consequences on our ministry. So we will probably return to the States every August as long as we're here. Mm. Good, good. Uh, yeah, talk, talk a little bit about how hard this is on you and on, on family and others that are working there, you know, from the outside. Yeah, I, I spoke to a small group before we came over and I said to them, what do you think? our biggest fears are. And they said safety. And uh, I think that was the big one. Mm, and ironically, yeah. we never worry about our safety here at all. I, It'd I, be the I, logical thing that we would obviously yeah. think of. Well, uh, we feel very, very safe here. And I've never had anyone try and rob me of anything. Uh, someone did take my wife's cell phone one time when she was doing a text underneath a street light. A guy came up on a moto and just grabbed it. But we actually got the phone back later that night. Mm with a lot of help from the police. Mm -hmm. Being an American citizen here carries a lot of weight. Mm. They don't want anything to go wrong for an American because they, mm. they know there'll be trouble. So we feel very safe. The actual things we were afraid of were monotony, boredom, mm. and loneliness. And the, all three of those things are super uh, big struggles for us. You come from the States. We lived in a city uh, where there were cultural things going on all the time, concerts and presentations and book clubs and this and that and the other thing, as well as lots of church events. And then you come here and there's really almost nothing to do here except go to a cafe and have a coffee or a tea with a friend. And that is not that exciting. Uh, for me, for instance, you know, I like playing all sports. I am able to play tennis here. Uh, I joined a club and I'm able to play tennis, but I miss a lot of sports I used to play in the States. And so there's just a lot less to do. So boredom and monotony are very tough. Hmm. And then your circle of friends, I have a couple of really good national friends. It's been a lot harder for my wife. It's always hard for females to live in an Islamic context because it's so overwhelmingly masculine. Men dominate their wives here. Uh, domestic abuse is sky high. So you're living in a culture where women are not that well respected. And, and that kind of has an effect on you as a oh, woman. Oh, it's got to, yeah. And, and there are so few workers here that if you're looking around for a best friend, the pickings are pretty slim for how many Americans live in my city. I don't know. I'd say eight to 10, and most of those are single. So you, know, you might have one person you can possibly be a friend with if you want to go with an expat friend, which women often do, and that, that's just difficult. So lack of friendship, loneliness, uh, and boredom are, are huge things that can wear you down here, as well as just living in a society where there are so few happy stories. I mean, I wrote recently somewhere, it might've been in a, in a prayer letter, that we just get worn down with the, the sad stories in this country. And one of them that repeatedly comes up is people working a job for, let's say, a month, and they go to the boss and say, okay, you know, I put in my four weeks work. Uh, where's the salary we agreed on? Uh, I don't need you anymore. Well, where's the salary? Well, we never signed a contract. Oh, my goodness. Well, we didn't sign a contract because you don't want to pay taxes. Right. 
and I don't need you. I'm sorry, I don't have the money to pay you. Hmm. And this, this happens all the time. So we, you know, you're just seeing continual injustice every day. It's affecting your friends and it's just kind of an oppressive atmosphere. So hmm. that, that weighs on you. It's a war zone. Uh, you know, I've had people say to me since we came over, they say, you know, do you love it? And I say to them, well, if you loved where I'm living now, and you're a Christian, I'd say you're not that strong of a Christian or you're mentally imbalanced. Because how can you love a place where you don't see justice and righteousness prevailing ever? And you'd see in continual injustice prevailing and people suffering in a hundred different ways. Uh, you can't love a place like that. It's a spiritual yeah. war zone. It's, it's as real a war zone as Afghanistan or any other place where our troops are. You know, when soldiers come home from Afghanistan, you don't say, hey, did you love it? No one ever says that. Yeah, that's, that's really, really good. That's workers, a good perspective. That's really helpful. think spiritual workers would say, oh, yeah, we love where we live. No, I can't love where I live. Uh, I see tyranny. I see slavery. I see people forced to live in a faith that doesn't change hearts, that doesn't give hope, that doesn't do anything except throw a lot of law on you and make you feel feel uh, inadequate. Yeah. And well, let me, let me ask you this. What, what keeps you going? The successes and watching mm. Jesus change lives mm. and knowing, and just, just the fun of being in on the ground floor where a church is going to be established and you're going to watch that thing grow. And in that way, it is very much like the book of Acts where you're, you're watching these little groups grow and you, you realize, oh, that's why Paul wrote what he did in Ephesians, <laughs> why he wrote yeah. what he did in 1 Corinthians, because these same problems are coming up here. But being in on the ground floor, if you have a little bit of that pioneering spirit, uh, that's thrilling. Yeah. And just to be around, if I could have you come right now to one of our believer meetings and see the joy in them and mm. listen to them sing and pray, uh, hmm. You wouldn't stop crying. Mm. You wouldn't stop crying. You'd mm. say, oh, man, that's right. Jesus does make a difference. Look at these people. They don't look like all the people scowling out on the street. These people are smiling. They're laughing. They're singing. They're praising. They're praying as if they really know God. Jesus really is the whole deal. Yeah. Well, you're, you're saying it's the gospel that keeps you going. It's the gospel yes. that has you there. The yes. same gospel that I talk to people about who are struggling with marriages and who are oh, stuck yeah. in the mundane and the routine, yes. the same things that make where you are hard yeah. is what makes life hard even for believers here. Yes. Uh, just a reminder that the gospel is, is what it's all about. It, it's worth it. It's worth even experiencing loss, uh, you know, criticism, bad relationships. Uh, we do what we do because of the gospel. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for sharing that. that pretty raw stuff. Um, uh, Peter, uh, really, uh, you know, I hope, I hope people are, are encouraged not to even look at their own context differently, but realize that there's a, a world out there. We need to be thinking more and praying more. You know, it, it's helpful for us to, well, what would you, let, let's kind of wrap up with this. What, what do you want us to know about, uh, you know, serving in a country like where you are? You've described it well, but just how would you, how would you sum it up? Or is there anything else that you wanted to share that you want to finish up with here? Well, I would say a couple of things. First of all, one thing, the, the church is at a very interesting phase right now in our country in that people have come to Christ, but they're very scattered. They have come to Christ sometimes through getting on Christian websites and writing in and saying, I want a Bible. Can I meet mm -hmm. with someone? So a worker will meet with that person, 
but you have one guy in a town over here and one guy in a town over there, one guy in this part of the big city and this one in another neighborhood 45 minutes away. And so we have believers here, but this next step is to come into communities and form groups. And honestly, uh, as far as I can tell, and I've talked to many people about this, there has never been a situation where believers have come together who don't know each other beforehand and started a group and that group has continued. There's been a 100% failure rate on that. Mm. That is to say, people here are very slow to trust. It's a culture where there's really no trust at all. And so now the church needs to mature to the point where they come together in groups and begin to live out body life. And once that ball starts rolling, then I think we'll see even greater things happen. We feel like we're on the cusp of a breakthrough. Mm. We feel like it's time that the church has matured to where it understands it is community and it is groups. And once that, those groups can get some momentum, uh, they will be self-perpetuating, and that's going to be a really, really cool mm. step. So the biggest prayer would be that as Jesus transforms lives, that he will put like a trust chip in everybody's body <laughs> where they'll trust people and realize, hey, everybody here has been changed by Jesus like I have, and I can trust them. I can be open with them, and I'm excited about being committed to this new group of brothers and sisters. Because when that happens, look out, uh, because then you're going to have groups of 8, 10, 15 people and they're going to bring in people, and then they're going to divide, mm. and away we go. So we're not there yet. The church is not there yet. It is scattered mm. believers with a couple of groups that function, and those have been usually through friend and family networks. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Well, I think that tr- that trust chip might be the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> the deposit Amen. guaranteeing our inheritance. Yes. Yeah, the Holy Spirit's the one that... Uh, helps us to be free of our sin and put our trust in Christ our Savior, but also to view each other differently. You know, Absolutely. The, the horizontal impact and loving and embracing. It's the command, love the Lord your God, but also love one another. And yes. that's that's what you're I think you're I believe that you're you're talking about here. Well Peter, yeah, this has been here, this, Yeah, go ahead. The here the believers here need to do the one another's. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you need another yeah. person to do a one another. Yeah. So. There you yeah, go. Awesome. Awesome. Well, this has been a, wow, rather, rather raw conversation. I, I appreciate your, your deep openness. And uh, yeah, there, if, if anyone wants to connect with you or be on the receiving end of uh, communication from you, it obviously will be someone that I know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I will, uh, I'll, I'll know how to connect them with you. So we'll, we'll make that. Great. But uh, well, hey, thank you so much. And may the Lord continue to bless you and give you courage as you, as you serve him there. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to the Before You Quit podcast today and continue to pray for Peter and his wife and the work that is taking place in the country where they work and for the believers who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, that they will grow, that they will share their faith, and that they also would be protected uh, from the many things that will threaten them because they, now they are Christians. Uh, you can email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us if you have anything you want to talk about or ask questions about or just share your thoughts about what you've heard today. So until next week, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we are told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. 
Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged. Thank you.